Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Cazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. Here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. It is Mike Gore here in the studio, and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. I have just got back from Central Asia. Woke up at 2 a.m. this morning. I'm pretty tired, but I've been meeting with persecuted believers and seeing what the Lord's doing over in that part of the world. And I can promise you, He is up to some amazing and incredible things. But today, I thought we'd do something a little bit special, a little bit different, and share with you some of the radical stories about how this ministry came to be. And so we're going to call this our Heritage Edition. But for those of you who might be new to the ministry, here's a little bit of a backstory to the ministry. Brother Andrew grew up in a small village in Holland after World War II. What many people don't know, he was actually wounded by a bullet when he was a soldier in Indonesia, and during his recovery, began to read the Bible, and in that moment, devoted his life to both God and missionary work. On a trip to Poland, he realized the church was alive but in desperate need of Bibles, support and prayer. In 1955, Brother Andrew began smuggling the Word of God into communist countries, and that's where the work of Open Doors really began. We had to do something. For God so loved the world. And, and if God loves, who am I, who are we to say, but not that part, not that person. It's, it's what Jesus told the disciples to, to do into all the world. Go share the news with, with everyone. Don't wait for persecution. Don't wait for even for a call. Do it out of obedience and see how God is with you, then who can be against you? I believe everyone has the right to have this book and the message of the book. Open Doors is a, is a mission of the Bible. There's only one name, there's one hope, there's one future. But we will always be a Bible-centered mission and love-centered. If you see a world in need and there is only one solution, and God's Word has a solution, and the church has that solution, If only we would go back to the book, your book, Lord. As a ministry, we've expanded to work in more than 70 countries, providing Bibles, training, and practical support to the persecuted church. And it's my pleasure and privilege today to say that I'm sitting here with one of my best friends, but also the man that started the ministry here in Australia, Dean Keeney. Welcome to the Open Doors Live podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. You know, I always tell people who are listening to this, well, I was born in India, you were born in America. It's funny. I don't look like anything I sound. You don't sound like anything you look. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Anyway, with all that aside, let's get into some questions for you. Dean, one of the things I'd love to do today is really flesh out some of the backstory to the ministry, maybe some of the stories. I know you personally, I've heard many incredible stories that I'm sure our listeners will love. But how about we start with this? What were you doing with your life before you got involved with Open Doors? Well, I was living in Denver, Colorado with my wife and little kids, and we were just going to church every Sunday. I worked for the power company. 
I was a senior credit representative. I used to tell people, if you didn't pay your bills, I shut your lights off. But then God gave me a better job where now we can turn people's lights on with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while I was working there, I was going down to Teen Challenge on the weekends. And Friday night, Saturday night, we'd meet at 7 o'clock clock we'd pray go out on the streets witnessing passing out tracts and this was during the time when there was the big jesus revolution the hippies and yippies were traveling from california to denver to chicago to new york drug running and you know doing all their things and these were the people we were working with so that's basically what i was doing and so tell me following that how did you get involved with the ministry of open doors well, I read this book that came across my path called God's Smuggler. I thought, well, that's interesting. I think I'd like to read that. And through reading that book, I became aware of the ministry of Brother Andrew. And I thought, if this man is willing to take Bibles into Eastern Europe and Russia and all those communist countries, then I as a Christian in America should be able to do something. I should be able to help him. So I chose to help send finance so that he could purchase those Bibles and carry them into Eastern Europe and Russia. And then I met a man who was actually helping him start his ministry in America. And I used to get finished with my job, run over there to his office and find out where's Andrew at? What's he doing now? And he always kept me updated on what Brother Andrew was. And when Brother Andrew came to Denver, I was in the church, almost the second row. I said, I got to hear this guy. I got to know what he's talking about. And that kind of made it more real in my heart that this is the ministry I wanted to support. And I did that for about 10 years. Now, Denver to Sydney, how did that happen? Well, that was an interesting one, too, because in supporting them, they used to send us a prayer cassette tape. If people remember, what's a prayer cassette? A little cassette you would put in your tape player and you could play it and either listen to music but for brother andrew he would have prayer requests and on one of them we got it was a prayer request to pray for someone to start the base in sydney australia well living in denver i thought well that's kind of far away i didn't think i was qualified uh who's gonna do that so i would gave the tape to our pastor he played it he came back to us he says dean why don't you go answer your own prayer and that was a challenge because we were a very mission-minded church. And I remember one day I walked out and turned around, looked at my home. I said, God, is, is this all? Have we arrived? Because if there's something else you have for us to do, I let all this go. And it was just interesting. Things started moving very quickly. I wrote a letter to the office in California saying, what does it take to get involved with the ministry? Uh, didn't even tell Becky about the letter. The guy called from California and had to read the letter to her over the phone. She was so surprised <laughs> that I wrote it, that she, but she was excited because the whole purpose of starting the base in Australia was to reach China with the Word of God. And we had received through a Change the World School of Prayer a prayer burden for that year, which was all the provinces of China that God would bring the Word of God to them. And that was the whole purpose of what uh, Open Doors was going to be started for in, in Australia. You know, it reminds me of something that Christine Kane often says, and she'll say, God doesn't only call the qualified, He qualifies the called. And I really love that statement, is that it's not necessarily about, can I do this? 
in many ways, it's about you were made to do this. Yeah, and we felt so unqualified that, you know, it was amazing because we had to raise our own support. We had, I had to quit my job, sell the home, sell all the furniture. Uh, we just cut the ties. And then our church swung behind us to support us, send us out, and that's history. That's how it all began. So what year did you arrive in Australia? We arrived here in January 1978. Three years before I was born. <laughs> well, how about that? <laughs> you talked about China as being the main focus of the ministry, from the Sydney office anyway at that stage. We've talked to the listeners before about something called Project Pearl. Time magazine would say that it was the greatest move of sort of contemporary Christianity in an evangelistic sense. And the project in and of itself was to deliver a million Bibles into China in one night. Now, I know your story. I know you had a lot to do with this project. But can you tell us a little bit about Pearl? You know, what was it? Give us some more detail about it. Uh, what did you accomplish? And what was your role with that project? Well, we were actually asked by these Christians in China after we had been tested. They tested us by, you know, whether or not we could bring them Bibles, whether or not we were going to cause them problems. And so it started with a small number. Can you bring us 100 Bibles? Fine, that work. 900. Then it went to 20,000, then 30,000. And finally, the request came. Okay, bring us 1 million. And we didn't know what a million looked like. You know, we didn't know. But by faith, we says, okay, that's what the need was. And it was to actually move them from the Bible printers in through Hong Kong into China. And the only way we could figure out how to do that was by water. Uh, and so what happened was there were 232 one-ton packages totally sealed in plastic. In each package was 48 boxes sealed in plastic. In every box was 90 Bibles. So if you work that out, multiply them out, you get 1,002,024 Bibles. And we had a barge, a sinkable barge, built in the Philippines. That's where the Asia base was, Manila, Philippines, where you could load that on, turn the valves, begin to sink the barge, drop the sides, and then push these one-ton packages out into the water so that they could be floated up onto the beach. And interesting, Mike, you'll love this. The name of the beach was codenamed Mike. Yeah, and actually the tugboat that we bought out of Singapore was called Michael for the Archangel Michael. So see, you, <laughs> you're part of the project. You just didn't know that. <laughs> and the barge was actually Gabriella for the Angel Gabriel. Uh, and we floated those in up into Swatow, China, and, and delivered them in one night. And we actually had Christians around the world praying we had to have a sea-like glass and a full moon. And when the tugboat arrived at the beach, my job was to be the radio man from Manila, land-based radio operator, speaking to the tugboat and with a phone link into Hong Kong to the son of the evangelist who requested the million Bibles. So I prepared the message that came from the boat, prepare 18 bowls of rice, 21 cups of tea. And that was telling the Chinese Christians that we would be at the beach on the 18th of June, 1981, at 2100 hours, which is 9 p.m. in the evening. And they were ready to receive those Bibles when the boat arrived. And that boat actually passed troop transport ships, gunboats, as they sailed in, and they never approached. I remember speaking to you about the 
preparation and the pre-work that the kind of test deliveries and you might be able to get my numbers right here but wasn't there a time when we had 60 australians on a plane going into hong kong to make land-based deliveries as a way of getting bibles into that country is that right was it 60 or yeah, it was 66 on one airplane out of a total of 155 worldwide and we we came up with about 85 of all the 155 and 66 were on one airplane and the ones that were already up there had gone up to do short-term work and this was a project called project mana where we had all the 155 christians come together in hong kong we were actually in Jackie Pullinger's campsite base, and we were running the borders in and out every day for two weeks. And that was the actual goal. It was to deliver as many Bibles as we could into China during those two weeks. Amazing. What I love about that is the role that Australian Christians have had in the overall Project Pearl, but more than that, in the spreading of the gospel in the nation of China. Just incredible. But now, if we jump forward and we look, I guess, at the last 45 years, what would you say are some of the, in terms of persecution, some of the main changes you've seen over those 45 years? Well, when I first became aware of uh, Open Doors, you know, I was thinking of and reading about Christian prisoners in prison like Joseph Bondarenko in Russia, Alexander Agorodnikov, and then I read about this guy, Sergei Kordikov, who was a Russian soldier whose job it was to go into house churches to physically beat Christians. And he would beat them severely. He was a judo expert. He was trained in all the martial arts. He was a young guy. They wrapped the flag, the Russian flag, around his chest and actually told on Moscow TV for all the young people, be like him, be like him. But then he actually was in this one uh, house church, and he was always finding this girl, Natasha. And he would beat her severely, and he would think, she'll never come back. He'd go to the next raid, there was Natasha. He'd beat her again, she'll never come back. Went to the next house raid, there was Natasha. He raised his hand to beat her again, and it was like a vice grip grabbed him. His wrist couldn't move. He turned around to hit whoever was behind him. There was no one there. God had grabbed his hand midair, and he stopped right then. He got on a Russian freighter. He jumped off, uh, off the coast of Canada, and he actually escaped and ended up in Canada, became a believer. And through his life story, eventually, the KGB got him and executed him somewhere in California during a ski holiday or something that he was on. But that story stuck with me. And since then, persecution, you know, I've heard about Andrew wanted to go to Africa. And the believers there said, Andrew, we don't need your message. We're okay. Persecution, you know, it'll never happen here. And then what happened? Revolution came to Africa. There was Idi Amin, became the butcher of Uganda. And there was all these other countries that started seeing persecution come up, where you got Boko Haram in Nigeria, you got Al-Shabaab in Somalia, all these groups that are persecuting believers. And I think one thing I've really learned is the Bible is true. 
persecution will increase in the last days. It's not going to stop. And so you can look at all the countries. And that's why we published the World Watch list, the top 50 countries in the world where Christians are heavily persecuted, where it's not the safest place to be as a Christian. And so what would you say was probably the hardest part of working with this ministry? I mean, you've told us some incredible stories, some uh, I can't even begin to imagine as you've seen those shifts and changes in persecution, their cost to believers, just the wrestle, the emotional wrestle. I mean, I feel it. I know our team here feels it. But over those 45 years, what have been some of the hardest parts of working with the ministry? I think for when we first got here, the hardest part for me <laughs> that had I not cut the ties back home and had nothing to return to would have been the fact that in trying to get meetings in the churches, it seemed that the pastors didn't trust the accent. You know, as you said, I didn't, you know, sound Australian, looked like one, but it didn't sound like one. And so they were kind of looking, I think, for a term that one pastor finally said, the flash and ash. And that really was something that kind of slowed us down. It was hard we had to work through that, but they kept plowing on. I said, Lord, you brought us here. I'm going to be faithful. I'll take a meeting anywhere, anytime, don't matter who asks, whether it's a school, whether it's a church, a home fellowship. We're just here. We're going to do what you've asked us to do. And finally, it started opening up. The other struggle we had was always the issue of the title of the book, God Smuggler. You were the guys that smuggle the Bibles. That's not right. You're violating the you know sovereignty of these nations. And we always looked at that and said, wait a minute. Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore. Okay, what law are we going to violate if we obey that one? None. There's none. You can go anywhere. And Andrew says, you can go anywhere in the world and share the gospel. Amen. And that's our right. And that's our commission, what we need to do. Now, you're a wonderful storyteller. I'm sure our listeners are starting to get a pretty good impression of that right now. But as we sort of come into land this episode, are there any stories, favorite stories? Oh, I mean, I know a couple that I could seed you with, but what, what are some favorite stories or is there a story that you'd like to share with the listeners today? Well, gee, that's hard to pick which one I'd like to share because I'd love to start on a few and don't know how much time we have. But anyway... I think one of them was through the MANA conference when we had all those uh, you know, Aussies up there on that trip. Also, I had my 12-year-old daughter, uh, and then we had a board member and his wife. And this was a trip that I call Slow Boat to China. It was out of Hong Kong. We loaded up with our Bibles, and we were sailing from Hong Kong to Haikau Island. And there we were. We were passing through. We had about 13 of us. One was from Singapore, a Chinese, and for some reason they selected him out of the group as we went through customs, made him open his bags, found all the Bibles he had, confiscated them, and then put a watch on him. Not only on him, but on us, because six police also got on that boat, rode with us all the way to Haikau. And when we saw that, we decided we got to get out of here as quickly as we can. We tried that night to maybe get a boat going back or somehow get off the island. Didn't work out. We had to take another boat in the morning, 6.30 a.m., 
heading back towards China up to Canton, which was Guangzhou today. And so we got on that ship. Lo and behold, six police were also on that boat. They were following us. They knew that this guy was with our group. And so when we sailed into Canton, tied up against the dock, he got everybody ready to come up the, the stairway, out the door. And just then, as I reached the handle of the door, the latch was locked. And I couldn't move the door. I heard it click on the outside. And I turned around, I said, people, we need to pray. We nearly, really need to pray because something's going on and I hope they're not bringing police wagons to call us off to jail. But let's pray, and I thought of this story in the Bible. You know, <laughs> Philip, go join with the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, on that chariot. And then after he shared the gospel with him and what he was reading, he disappeared. God took him somewhere else. So I said, let's pray that God would transport whoever's on the other side of that door somewhere else. Put them in Beijing, put them in Shanghai. I don't care. Just, Lord, we got to get out of here. We got your word. We need to deliver it. And just then, that latch unlatched. I grabbed the handle, swung the door open. There wasn't a soul around. Nobody was on the boat. No one was on the gangplank getting off the boat. No sailors were on the dock that we could see. And I turned around, being in the Navy, I know where you can hide on the boat. And I looked, there was no one there. And I just told everybody, scatter as fast as you can. Get into the city, go to the plan of delivering the Bibles, and then we've got to exit out to Hong Kong. And that happened. Everything was safely delivered. We got back to Hong Kong, and we were rejoicing in what God had done. Amazing. You know, the thing I love about that story, having heard it several times now, is that I know if I put myself in that and I think about Philip, my prayer is not that they would be transported. My prayer would be that I would be transported. But I think that that's the beauty of it, is the reality is that too often it's all about us. But your prayer was that they would be transported. And in that moment, the Lord honored that. It's just an incredible, incredible insight, I think, to the heart um, that is Dean Keeney the reality that it's not about you, it's about the gospel work and saying, Lord, move him, get rid of him. I don't mind where you take him, but help us get out of here. And um, and that's, that's a story that I will never forget. I guess, as a way of finishing, what are you most excited about in terms of the future of this ministry? I think I'm most excited about the work we do and the impact it has in the lives of the believers we meet who are paying the ultimate price for their faith in Christ. And if, if we can just give something of ourselves, our lives or whatever, and it is, it's a life calling. I've been with Open Doors 41 years. I wouldn't want to do anything else. Why would I? Unless God calls me to it, of course, but I'm just thankful he hasn't. But it, to see the change and the excitement in people that we can share the ministry with, and to see them get involved and to see the impact it has in their life. Because now, if you go back and look at China after Pearl, after all the Bible trips, all the Australian believers and other worldwide believers who carried Bibles in there, they now have their heart to return to Jerusalem with the Word of God. And they're planning that, they're training to do that. 
So that excites me. God is at work. He's never going to stop. We get to be his co-workers, and that's amazing. He is our work. We're his workmanship. He created us for good works. And so we just get to put our hand up, and that's what we did in Denver when I just said, Lord, if there's anything else. I kind of volunteered. Now it didn't really give a call. I volunteered, and then God put it into place. So that excites me to just to see what God's going to do in the next 40, 50 years if we have that much time and what he's done because he's the faithful one. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he who calls you is faithful, he will do it. He will fulfill the ministry. Amen. Well, Dean, thank you so much for being part of the Open Doors Live podcast. You know, one of the things that I really do treasure about this ministry is that unlike many other charitable organizations, we don't exist to stop persecution. I know we've said it before on the podcast, but what we do in the nature of our work, it prolongs persecution. But it's because persecution is biblical. Wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. We've seen that echoed in China, right across Africa, the Middle East, Asia, North Korea, all of these kind of places. And the beautiful thing about this ministry is we go to the institution of the local church in some of the most difficult countries on the planet and we say, how can we breathe life into what you're doing? Because as you said, in the face of persecution, Jesus is still building his church. And it's why I think that caring for the persecuted church should be part of the DNA of every single person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. And why? My hope is that people listening to this podcast, Australia, New Zealand, all over the world for that matter, would ensure that they are doing something at least once a year for the survival of the church. Thanks so much for listening. Dean, thanks again for being part of the show and uh, we'll catch you next month. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Cazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au.